This is the word of the Lord. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Before we get started into what I believe to be a very practical message, can we take just a minute and recognize that as human beings, we are broken and flawed, and that God is not, that he is perfect, and that he is awesome, and that all of the trouble that we create, he is going to fix that. Can we take a moment and just ponder that? Before we dive in, don't judge me. How many of you have heard that? Anybody ever said that to you? Don't judge me. How many of you have said it yourself? Listen, I'm not judging you, but I feel like. There might have been some lies right there. Yeah, don't judge me. It is literally, I'm going to say that uh, without uh, hyperbole, that it is the baseline of our society right now. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Here's a couple of examples of moments when I have personally said, don't judge me. After someone watched me eat an entire family-sized portion of uh, peanut M&Ms. Don't judge me. You did it too. Or half of that pie, you know, we say that we see that and we're like, oh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. These are the things that we talk about and we see this all the time. Judgment. What we're really talking about, though, when we say don't judge me is the fact that we don't, we like the sin activity that we just did. We know within our heart of hearts that it's wrong, but we don't want you to point it out to us. That's why we say, don't judge me, is because we want to continue in that concept. So the passage we're going to look at today is actually the beginning of the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. So it's the introduction to the conclusion. Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing or not. He's going, Jesus is going to begin. So he's, he's been teaching us all along, all of these things, right? We've learned about lust and hate and divorce and generosity and loving our enemies and all of that. You remember at the end of the loving your enemies section, do you remember what Jesus says? You probably don't, but I'll remind you. He says, be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. And it's this little short reminder there at the end of that, that you can't do this 
All of these things that he's been teaching us to do through the Sermon on the Mount, you can't do it. You're going to try. You're going to strive for it. But within your own power, you will fail every single time. So when he says, be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect, he's telling you that you don't have the ability. Only God does through you. And so as we begin here in this uh, first section here of chapter 7, he's going to begin to show us how that we can take the truths that we have been taught and we can apply them to ourselves, not to other people. Isn't it easy to apply truth to someone else? Every parent in the room, we apply truth to other people all the time, right? They're called our children, and we correct them, and we instruct them, and we guide them, and we are applying truth to them. And it's so easy. How many of you have ever sat in a sermon, under, listening to a sermon, and thought this thought to yourself? Oh, so-and-so really needs to hear that. You ever thought that? Come on now. It's more lying going on in here. Yeah, we think that all the time. We think it all the time. Whenever, so I'm just going to tell on myself. That happens to me a lot. Every time that happens to me and I actually like say it in my mind or say it out loud, the very next thought that comes to my mind is, ooh, I need to hear this. Because if I'm looking to apply it to somebody else, I probably need it more than they do anyway. You follow me? All right, so here he starts out. I'm going to read it for you. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in here. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. And Lord, we recognize our brokenness and your greatness. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would continue to apply your grace to us. And Father, we trust you uh, to take care of us. And Lord, we just pray now as we open your word that you would quiet our hearts and our minds and help us to focus our attention on you. And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. So here in this first spot talking about how to apply the Sermon on the Mount. How do we apply it? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here's what I said about that. When we're thinking about how to apply the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing that we need to understand is that we need to be gracious. We need to be gracious. And if we're not going to be gracious... And he's going to, Jesus is going to break all of this down deeper as we go through this. But if we're not willing to be gracious to other people, other people are not going to be willing to be gracious to us. You guys have heard that, right? Like that's the golden rule. I don't want to steal um, whoever's preaching next week's thunder. But the, the golden rule is right in there. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so we need to be gracious. So the first thing that we see here is judge not that you be not judged. Uh, The first thing is that's a warning to us. That's a warning to us. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, if we're always saying or consistently saying, don't judge me, then we have to be careful that we are not judging other people. Now, here's the problem with this passage that we talk about. This passage here gets pulled out. These six verses get pulled out of the Sermon on the Mount 
all the time and used against Christians, right? You're not supposed to judge me. You're so judgmental. You're hateful. You're mean. You're spiteful. Look, even Jesus said that we're not supposed to judge other people. And they pull this passage out and they show it to you. On the flip side of that, we Christians pull this passage out of context and we use it and we say, I can't tell anybody outside what they're doing is wrong or anything like that. I'm not supposed to judge anybody. Jesus told me not to judge anybody. So I can't judge anybody. Both of those things are wrong. Number one, we can speak out against sin as we see it. If we don't, we're wrong. Now, if somebody takes that as judgment other than just a statement of fact, then that's how they receive it. But the reality of it is, is that we are called to speak out against those kinds of things. Even the world knows that you're supposed to speak out against injustices, right? Don't they preach that all the time? We even have a little slogan for it um, that came out um, a while back. See something? Say something. You remember that? Don't judge me, man. Right? So we're, he's warning us, though, judge not that you be not judged. The point that he's making here is, remember, to put it contextually, this is the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. All of these things that you've just learned, all of these things that I have just taught you about the lust and hate and uh, divorce, all those things, Remember, he says, judge not lest you be judged because it is human nature for us to take what Jesus just taught through the Sermon on the Mount and make a bunch of rules and regulations around those things and implement them on ourselves and on other people. And it is literally the purpose of him teaching the the Sermon on the Mount is to tell you that the rules and regulations are irrelevant in the context of the fact that what's happening inside of your heart is more important than what's happening in the activities on the outside. Remember, that's why he called the Pharisees your sepulchers, whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. That means it looks good on the outside, but the inside is worthless, right? So here's the, this is the warning that he's giving us. Take this information and apply it to yourself. Don't try to apply it to other people. That's the warning. Secondly, he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And so I call this the law. Remember, we're talking about being gracious. He warned us, be gracious. Secondly, he says, Whatever measure you use, that's the measure that's going to be used on you. So whatever the law is that you produce, that's what's going to be used on you. Okay, here's another opportunity for you to lie. How many of you have ever said or thought, do as I say, you even know how it ends, (laughs) not as I do. How many of you know, though, that showing somebody how to live is way better than just telling them how to live, right? So when he's talking about that, he's talking about this, whatever law that you put out, whatever it is that you've set as the standard, whatever that standard is, that's the standard that you're going to be held to as well. You can think about it in the workplace. Um, You ever worked for a boss 
that set the standard way high, like everybody has to you know, do 24-7, 365, all of this kind of stuff. But then they sat around in their office with their feet on the desk, you know, doing whatever it was that they did. And what did you think when you saw that? Oh, man, why does he get to do that if I got to be out here, you know, slugging, slugging it, you know? And it's, just, it's the concept. Whatever, whatever the law is that you're going to lay out there, that's what's going to be turned around and used on you. So remember that. If you, want, if, uh, if you want all of that grace, make sure that you're giving that grace. Because if you give all of that law, they're going to give all of that law right back at you. You follow me? Thirdly, I like putting numbers to things. Yeah. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so this is what I talk about the measure. This is the... That, that weight. So as, as hard as you are on other people, that's what's coming back at you, that same hardness. And I don't know about you, but I want a lot of grace because I am a screw-up. Are you guys screw-ups too? I am. I'm a big one. You know what my, uh, have, you guys, have you guys ever gotten an email from me? Maybe I'll send an email out to the whole church just so that they can see this. My, uh, if you look, at, if you get an email uh, from the church and stuff, uh, whoever sends the email out, it has their name and like their title, like what they do for the church, right? Do you guys know what mine says? Anybody? Yes, that's exactly right. It says the abiding idiot. That's my job here at the church. I am the abiding idiot. Here's what that means. That means I am an idiot. And I do stupid stuff all the time. But I am relying on God's grace to carry me through. And that's where the abiding part comes in. Because, yeah, I'm an idiot but I'm hanging on to Jesus with all I've got, right? That's what we need to think about when we're talking about this. Judge not lest you be judged. It's not about whether we can call out sin or not call out sin. It's not about whether we uh, take, this app, take these words and, and apply it here or don't apply it there or apply it to myself, apply it over here. It's about being gracious with one another and realize that as broken human beings, we are going to make mistakes in the context of our collective relationships. And in that grace, if we want to receive it, then we need to share it and realize those things. All right. In this next section, I love that this next piece is my favorite part. Because I always, I have a real uh, image of this in my mind, right? So here's what Jesus said. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I, this, maybe this is some more of the idiot stuff. 
But I, every time I read that, I see that like in a cartoon. Can you see it? Like a little cartoon drawing with a giant log coming out of somebody's eye. Right? And here's the really great thing is he's, Jesus is using the singular eye. But really, if you've got a log coming out of your eye, you're not seeing clearly at all anyway out of either side, right? And so, and then of course the speck, it's just this tiny little, uh, you know, particle of dust that's over here in this other person's eye. Have you ever noticed how your sin looks worse on other people? Let me say that to you again. Have you ever noticed how your sin looks worse on other people? Think about that for a moment. In other words, you may commit a sin and you think, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. You see somebody else commit that same sin and your thought process is, how could they? Can you believe it? That's not seeing the log in your own eye and focusing too much on the speck in somebody else's. What I want to talk to you about here in this section, though, is I want to flip that around and I want to show you. So, so it's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I want to put it in this, in this context. We need to be not only gracious, but we need to be self-reflective. Self-reflective. He's telling us here through this whole concept not to be too quick to lay this guilt on somebody else, but to look at ourselves first. And so I've got three words that all end in shun, and you're going to love them. The first one is application. We need to take this Sermon on the Mount, which is what he is uh, uh, beginning to wrap up for us here. And we need to look at all of those truths that he just gave there. And instead of thinking about everybody that that needs to hear that and needs to apply it to their lives, we need to realize that we are the ones that needed to hear it. We are the ones that need to apply it to our lives. And we need to start there first. And that's what application is. Application is we take this truth and we say, wow, in my context, how does this truth resonate? How does it hit me? How am I going to put it into use? And so we take that truth and we apply it to ourselves. When you apply truth to yourself, it can be painful. I think it's Joyce Myers that says, that was an amen, oh me moment. You ever had one of those? That's when somebody says something like from a, a, you read it in scripture or somebody's preaching and they make a point and you go, amen. And then you realize, ooh, oh me. That hit right at home. That's application. When we take these truths and we apply them to ourselves, how does this impact me? What do I need to change in my life so that I am aligned with what God is already doing and the truth that he has already told us? That's application. Secondly, we need to look at, as we're looking at removing logs and specks, we need to look at cultivation. Now, I am not a farmer, nor do I ever play one on TV. And I can kill a house plant like nobody's business. But what, I, what little I know about cultivation is when we plant something, Cultivation is taking that plant or that crop 
and creating the environment that will make it succeed the best. So in other words, in cultivating, we're going to make sure that that plant has just the right lighting that it needs. It's going to have just the right food supply that it needs, that the soil has just the right nutrients. It's going to get just enough water that it needs. You ever overwatered a plant? Another opportunity for you to lie. Yes. I, over, I have overwatered plants like crazy. Have you ever, uh, ever underwatered a plant? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes my, uh, my mother, this is a side note. I don't know where I'm going with this one. My mother gave me a plant one time. She called it a bachelor's plant. Uh, we still have one in our house. These things are like you can cut the leaf off and like stick it in a jar of water and it will grow. Like it's almost impossible to kill this thing. I say almost. <laughs> because I killed it. Cultivation is the idea of, put, of giving that plant all of the best opportunities for it to succeed and for it to survive. When we take these truths and we apply them to our lives so many times, especially in a context like this, where you come and you listen to a sermon and you may even take copious notes uh, on the sermon and you may hear that truth and then you may go on about your business. But if I called you on Wednesday morning and asked you for the big three points uh, without going to your notes, how many would be able to do it on a week-to-week basis? I can't do it either. But cultivation is when we take all of these truths that we're learning and we put them in, a vi- in an environment where they are most apt to be able to take hold. That means that we've got to spend time, uh, like the plant does, with the power source, getting the, uh, the, the nutrients that we need and getting the water supply that we need. And if you don't know who the power source is or where the power source is, where you can get the appropriate nutrients in the appropriate water that you need, his name is Jesus. And you got to spend time with him, taking in these truths, and he is the environment where the cultivation can take place. Notice that it's the focus here is not making sure that somebody else gets cultivated. The focus is making sure that I get cultivated. The third shun is germination. Germination specifically is that moment where the seed pops open and the little sprout comes out and then it starts working its way through the soil and making its way to the top to get all the stuff germination is where so application is where we've heard the truth and we've applied it to ourselves cultivation is where we've taken it and we've learned more about it and we've found the deep dark spots in our heart that we need to clear out and we've done the work on ourselves germination is when that truth that you applied to yourself begins to flow out of you to other people now notice that this is the moment where a lot of people begin to say, don't judge me. But it's not about me coming to you and saying, hey, you're messing up and you need to get it straight and I know the truth and I have applied it and I've cultivated it and here comes the germination at full force. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the fact that what is natural, the fruits of the Spirit, naturally come out of those that have applied and cultivated we don't have to work. Today, I'm going to be more long-suffering, and I'm going to work on that. 
No, I need to hear the truth, cultivate the truth. And then as I germinate that truth, it is gonna naturally flow out from me. That's that grace that we receive is gonna naturally flow out to those people that we come in contact with. We're going to recognize the struggle that they're having because it's a struggle that we have had. We're going to recognize the need for the application and the cultivation. But because we're understanding that we're going to be gracious about this, then we can allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and that can flow out of us. Do you follow that? Do you see the difference between pounding it into somebody's head and allowing it to be seen in our own lives? Remember, do as I do, not as I say. You know what I mean. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. This is the log. We've got to make sure that we get that log out of there before we can look and help anybody else clean their own eye out. That's where we're at. So we need to be self-respect. Be gracious. Be self-reflective. Last, this is a great verse. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. How many of you have ever read that verse and and said this? What? Yeah, there's a few. Me too. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. So let me give you a a big illustration, then I'm going to break this down for you. Because we're talking about delivering that cultivated um, truth that we have received. And we're talking about delivering as Jesus is here. Let me give you an illustration. I went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. Anybody know where Springfield, Missouri is? Oh, there's a few of you. Yeah. Yeah, it is almost geographically the center of the country. Did you know uh, the continental, the, the 48? It's almost the geographic center. As a result of that, um, there are more universities, Bible colleges, and seminaries per capita than any other city in the world. There are, I don't remember the exact number, somewhere between five and seven Bible colleges. Uh, and they all come from all different um, theological thought processes. So uh, there's Calvinistic schools, there's Arminianist schools, there's holiness schools, there's even snake handling schools, uh, and there's even a uh, witch's coven uh, that trains witches on how to be witches. All of that is in the town. And there's theological seminaries. Also in that town, there's a church about every three feet. So I set that stage for you because while I was in Bible college, I worked in a credit card company. I worked at a credit card company. The credit card company that I worked at was one of the first, if not the first, that created a website where you could pay online. You could pay your bills online and you could look at your statements online. So that was a long time ago, is what I'm telling you. And um, why did I tell you that? Oh, we're getting to the thing. Okay. This company had a huge cafeteria. with the, You could go in and, and you could uh, get lunch there. You didn't have to bring it in, all that kind of stuff. It had a cafeteria. 
So in our, on our team, there was as many different theological backgrounds. We were all students. There was as many different theological backgrounds as there were schools in, in town. And so we would sit around uh, the table most times at lunchtime and debate theology as good Bible college students that know everything there is to know about theology love to do. One time we were sitting there and I was getting into a pretty heated debate uh, with an Arminianist about uh, salvation. Now that's a big topic, right? As a matter of fact, it's the most important topic when you're talking to somebody that doesn't have any faith or is looking and searching for faith. The two of us, however, were arguing the finer points, which just from my point of view, we argue about finer points of salvation and we need to realize that that's a mystery of God that he does. And we can, the more we try to understand it, the more complicated we make it. That's cheap. I mean, that was a, a free of charge. We were having this big, deep conversation. And I mean, we were just tearing into each other. I mean, we were going at it pretty good. And uh, one, of, uh, one of the guys that I went, that was in my school, he came to me, and uh, as we had kind of come into a lull in the conversation, and he just kind of whispered in my ear, he said, you realize that sitting at the table with you now are a handful of people that do not believe in Jesus Christ. And you are debating heatedly these finer points in front of these folks. This is probably not the best time and place to have this conversation. And I thought, wow. Now, admittedly, it may have been just exactly what one of those people needed to hear, right? Because one of us was right. (laughs) But his point was, is that there's a time and place for everything and people need to hear the gospel uh, clearly presented. And it's confusing if you're a non-Christian or a non-believer to understand the differences in denominations. Now, I grew up in the South and we have uh, you know, churches on every block of every different ilk that you can possibly imagine. And so in that, growing up in that context, we definitely know the differences between the Methodist church and the Baptist church and the Pentecostal church. And we know exactly where they land on each one of those points. And everybody is divided into their own little categories. When you look out, when you're standing outside of Christianity, looking at it, you don't understand the difference between all of those church names and the Catholic church. And doesn't everybody listen to the Pope? And why don't you... Yeah, there's a lot of differences in what we think and believe about what this book says. So people get confused by that. So here's, my, here's the point of me telling you this. Jesus said, don't give the dogs what is holy and don't throw the pearls before the, the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. We need to be discerning with the truth that we have. We need to be discerning with that. Now, 
I'm the first one that's going to tell you that in every opportunity you get to speak about Jesus, you need to speak about Jesus. I'm going to be the guy that tells you that for sure, because that's what I try to do to the best of my ability. Having said that, we need to be uh, discerning. So the first thing that I said about being discerning is that we need to understand the timing. What I mean by the timing is not so much about um, whether we're, uh, what time of day we're doing it or in whatever's going on. What I'm really talking about is the timing of the person that you're talking to. So here's some, some strange statistics. I don't know how somebody figured this out, but somebody wrote this statistic and came up with it. Also remember that most statistics, 98.624% of all statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> Someone once said that a person has to hear a clear presentation of the gospel seven and a half times before they will understand it and receive it. Seven and a half times. That means that every Jesus conversation that you have is important because it might be one it might be four, it might be six, it might be seven and a half. Do you see what I mean? And so every one of those is, so the timing here, and what I'm talking about with the timing is, the difference between a dog and a pig and someone that's ready to hear the gospel is the timing. Where are they at? Are they ready to hear it? Have you ever tried to have an argument on social media? I wish I'd never have. But every once in a while, you know the memories, you know on the Facebook, the memories pop up. And I will see like this, this post that has like 300 uh, comments on the bottom. I know I got into a social media argument right there. And I try to like, let's don't do that anymore. Let's get rid of that. Because they're not ready, they're not ready to hear. And they're not willing to hear. That's the timing. You got to find them when they're ready to hear and when they're willing to hear. Because you can tell them the truth and they're not going to receive the truth. As a matter of fact, they'll take the truth, as Jesus just said, and they'll turn it on you and they will attack you with it. Right? And so the timing is important. Secondly, as far as be discerning is concerned, is the setting is important. Now, this is what my friend was telling me in the cafeteria the setting is important. One time uh, I was in uh, Africa and they had asked me to um, do a little devotional. And so uh, I did. I, I did a devotional for this, this group of men. And when it was over, uh, the, one of the, the African men that could speak English, he came to me and he said, hey, this guy wants to talk to you about uh, coming to know Jesus. And I was like, this is awesome. And so in my thought process, that's an opportunity to set the setting, which is to get that person by themselves so they're not distracted by anything else, right? And so that they can focus on what I'm saying, they can hear what I'm saying, and they can do all of those kinds of things. I was in Africa, though, not here in the United States. So we went off to this private little space. It was actually like a little... Um, uh, like a little lean-to, kind of had a bench underneath it. And we sat down and I started talking and I looked up. All of those men were standing there. Now, everything inside of me is telling me this is a bad opportunity. This is not going to work, right? Because the setting is important. And this is and in front of all of these people. This guy's not going to hear it. He's not going to understand it. He's not going to do all of these things that were going through my mind. This is not the great setting for this. I don't understand. 
So I asked the guy, is this okay? And he's like, they're not going to leave anyway. So if you're going to talk to him, you need to talk to him. (laughs) So I talked to him, and this is what God does. God takes what's ever happening in my brain, and he turns it on his head, and he does what he wants to do. As a result of me having that conversation with that one man in front of all those other people, not only did that young man accept Christ as Lord and Savior, but two of those other people did too. Now, that wasn't me. That wasn't me doing it. As a matter of fact, that was me doing it backwards. And God said, I'm going to take care of this anyway because that's what he does. But understanding the setting, this is the casting our pearl before swine. If you want to, if you want to see that, take a biblical truth a hard biblical truth, and just post it without context on your Facebook page. Watch them come after you. Watch them go after it, right? So we got to be careful there. And then finally, the audience. The audience is, is important. He says Jesus uses dogs and swine or pigs. And the reason Jesus uses dogs and pigs is because for the Jewish mindset in the first century, there wasn't anything lower than that. Dogs and pigs. Now, we love dogs here in this country when they, you know, oh, we elevate them. You guys don't know this about me, but I'm not a pet guy. But we elevate dogs. And I love that you love your dog. And I love that you take all the pictures that you take of your dog. And I love that your Instagram is your dog. I, however, do not like dogs or cats or fish or birds, snakes, bearded dragons. I'm just not a pet guy. I got, I, I, they take a lot of time. They're like kids. They're just... I raised three of those. I'm done. The audience. Why did I start talking about dogs? I don't know. I was just telling you that I don't like pets, I guess. The audience is important when we're talking about, oh, dogs and, and uh, pigs. I knew I'd come back around to it. Dogs and pigs. Yeah, dogs and pigs in the first century mindset dogs and pigs in the jewish mindset those were about as bad as it gets remember the um uh the prodigal son when he hit his lowest point what was he doing slopping the hogs as we used to say in texas yeah that's what he was doing it was it was just as low culturally as he could possibly get so jesus chooses these two as imagery of what we shouldn't throw that which we find precious and special and perfect uh, right in front of them. He's not telling us not to tell people about his saving grace. He's telling us to understand the context of what you're doing. And when you give this, the timing has to be right, the setting has to be right, and the audience has to be right. You have to be giving it to the right folks at the right time. Now, let me tell you something. All of you are sitting in this room this morning, and it took a lot of different circumstances to get you here at this time right now. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, Everything had to fall right into place in order for you to make it to this place right here, right now. Now, when we've come together in this place right here, right now, this is the audience, and God has brought us all together. 
There's a time and a place for all of these things. So I'm delivering this truth to you that I have seen in Scripture, and this is the audience that God has brought together. And when you have those opportunities to share the truths that you have learned uh, to someone else, God is going to bring that audience to you. We have a tendency now to take our truths and enforce them on people. Right? How many of you have seen, and I, I, I stopped watching uh, live television in January. You should try it. But I remember when I watched live television that there was never an opportunity where we couldn't find a, good, a, a, a group of good-intentioned Christians standing on a street corner with a sign filled with hate and rage over whatever sin they felt was the most wicked at the moment. Now, that's what the world sees about us is that kind of nonsense and craziness that happens outside. Uh, And we think, well, we're not like that. But remember, they don't know the difference between the Papists and the Baptists. And so they lump all of us together and they see no difference. And that's what they see. And so we need to understand this whole be discerning, the timing, the setting, and the audience. We need to understand when it's the right time to deliver the message and when it's not the right time to deliver the message. Begins, remember, with us focusing on ourselves to hear the message and apply it to our own lives first and foremost. So here's the big picture. The big picture is, what do I want you to get out of all of this? What I want you to get, and this is a a similar passage. It comes out of um, uh, Luke's gospel. And Jesus says these words. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. The rest of that is pressed down, uh, poured over, and overflowing. This is the sentiment that we need to understand. When we're talking about judging others, when we're talking about what we're supposed to judge and what we're not supposed to judge, what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, remember that it's this back end thing that I want you to focus on. Yeah, judge not so that you're not judged. Condemn not so that you're not condemned. But forgive so that you will be forgiven. And give so that it will be given unto you. You see... It's about the grace that God has given us. We have received so much grace that we can't do anything but take that grace and give it to other people. I'll end with this final little illustration that I love so much. They're in the, it's in a worship service and there's a, uh, a, a man and his son. His son's six or seven years old. And he looks at his dad and he says, Dad, how tall was Jesus? And the dad says, I don't know. Six foot? 
5'10"? I don't know how tall he was. Why? And the kid says, if he's that tall and he's inside of me, won't he be sticking out all over the place? From the mouths of babes. If Jesus is inside of you, he's going to be sticking out all over the place. And he's going to be applying that grace everywhere with everyone that you come in contact with. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to study your word. And Lord, now as we move to a time when we celebrate the Lord's table, Father, we just pray that you would help us and encourage us uh, to not be uh, the ones who stand on the street corner raising our fist and screaming in people's faces, but be the ones that deliver the food to the hungry and the clothe to the naked and the comfort to the comfortless. And so, Father, we just pray that you would change us and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.